Welcome to the Start Here podcast for web development. I'm Keith Monahan, And I'm Dane Miller. And we're here to show you how to build a career in web dev. You can find us online at starthere.fm. Hey, Keith. How's it going? Good. Things are good. How are you doing? I'm uh, doing pretty well. Had a pretty interesting week. How about yourself? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a, a good week for the most part. Yeah. Was it more productive this time than uh, weeks previous? <laughs> yeah, partly. Definitely. You know, I started a new project and that was a lot of fun. There's one thing I've been struggling with is the, yeah, you know, I, I've mentioned I work within WordPress. Yeah. And I'm using a, an event management plugin for um, this client website we're building and it has been a hassle to wrangle into making it do what I want it to do Um, so that's that has been disappointing I spent a little more time on that than I wanted to Um, and it's still not even fixed yet so Monday morning gotta dig in but I guess the benefit is that I'm (laughs) I'm digging into WordPress, like the core, like functionality, I guess. And so I'm yeah. becoming more familiar with it, which is only going to help me do a better, more efficient job, more quick job, you know, in the future. Yeah. I, a lot of people feel like they would hate to dive that deep into WordPress, right? How, how do you feel about like you're mitigating that? It sounds like with just, you seem to be enjoying it because you know, it's going to benefit you later. Mm-hmm. Well, I, so I started learning web dev by going straight PHP, and then I and then I started learning to build with um, a PHP framework called Code Igniter, and I resisted WordPress because I wanted to build, build it all myself, which is a lot of fun, but it takes so much time. And so building on WordPress, you know, it's a platform that already exists. It has the whole backend admin section. Um, already built out and designed and so you don't have to go and build that every time you you know start a project yeah so and there's a huge community of developers who you know build widgets and plugins and all these other things you can and themes you can totally change the design of your site so you know i resisted it at first uh, actually for about a year i resisted it Um, and then i started diving in because that is kind of the industry standard for uh, your typical small business website, which is what we do a lot of. Right. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So it's been good to, to dive in and get to know it, get to know it better. Well, it gives me more flexibility in knowing what I can do for our clients and their websites, you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've, I've struggled with this too. It's this whole concept of like the advanced beginner. So um, the concept being that if you don't dive in deep on certain topics or focus solely on a certain topic and dive in deep, and instead if you go general on a bunch of things, you'll often get caught in this trap of the advanced beginner where you know a little bit about everything, but you don't know a lot about anything. Hmm. And I've definitely found that that's a huge problem for web developers because there's so many tools and so many frameworks and and new resources coming out. And Mm -hmm. even even small things like there's so many IDEs, there's so many text editors that everybody is an advanced beginner on pretty much everything. And and that's Hmm. great because you're a generalist, but it definitely isn't that great 
also in the same token because you aren't able to specialize as yeah. deeply as perhaps your job might require. Yeah, you can't be as efficient as you might be if you were just dedicated to to that one thing. Yeah, for sure, yeah. for sure. You know, I struggled with that in, in the beginning as well, just jumping from, uh, you know, framework to framework or in the beginning I worked, I, you know, I tried out a few different text editors and um, until I found one, I, you know, it, it was hard because it's a little bit different. There's a learning curve, you know, and yeah. you don't want to get stuck continually on a learning curve. You have to specialize. Yeah. I, I also battle that and the way that I mitigate it is to focus. So I'll tell myself, you know, there's all these things that I want to do and there's all these things I want to look at, which is the same for all of us. We all want to do that. Um, but I'll tell myself I will spend one month on this one thing and I will mm -hmm. learn it to its completion or at least to a sufficient level of knowledge before I move on to something else. So if it's a text editor, then I will spend a month with it or I'll spend at least three weeks with it. And I will go in deep. I'll understand the settings, all the configs, all the options and packages that come along with it. Um, again, just so that I can make sure that I understand the, the choice before jumping on to something else. It's the same when people mm. try WordPress and then they might try something else. Um, and they're just kind of jumbling all these different choices and they don't go in deep for a month. I mean, people often feel like they don't have the time, but really... If you think about it this way, uh, if you think about it in the sense that if you spend a month juggling a bunch of different choices and not knowing much about any of them, then you're then you're literally wasting time. Right. So, so that's a waste of time. What you could do is you could spend one month learning something deeply and then switch to something else and learn that deeply. And then you have two months of completely positive time. So I like to look at it that. Yeah. And because you're actually during that time, you're actually able to produce something. Yeah. You, know, you, can, you can build something. Right. Also, I mean, maybe let's say you don't even produce anything. At least you've gained an in-depth, deep knowledge of something, in which mm -hmm. case you are already ahead of, I believe, 90% of people right mm -hmm. in that in that area because a lot of people do get stuck in this advanced beginner trap. So I think just diving in, you're doing much better than a lot of people. So I, th I try to support people when they want to do that. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It comes back to that idea that you just... You just have to start. You have to start coding right now. Just go yeah. do it. Yeah. Don't, don't procrastinate anymore, right? But hey, how, how was your week? My week was pretty good. Um, have been doing a lot of documentation, so have been doing a lot less coding. I don't think I coded once this week, which was Whoa. totally, I know, <laughs> really strange. But I've been living in Google Docs, developing all these different proposals and all these different sort of um, specifications we're doing a lot of different projects at work and a lot of them are it a lot of them are in the phase of they are all about to start at once so somebody's got to sort of sit down for a good amount of time and say this is a specification for each of these um hmm. you know we're transferring a bunch of sites over to, to wordpress we're transferring we're doing some marketing stuff and some other stuff so i've just been mainly writing which is I, I find that to be fun too because you know thinking about the future and sort of positioning yourself strategically in a way that you're going to benefit most in the future I, I find that to be a lot of fun that is really interesting and so that's not really web development right like what no. um but that's part of your your job duties at this company it is well. It's also it is web development in a sense because as a web developer, you probably should know how to write a specification document. So you mm. should be able to say, um, the website that I'm building. Like, let's say that your goal as a web developer is to be a freelancer. 
you should be able to communicate with that freelance with that client that you have as a freelancer and define specifications with him and then create a document yourself that contains those specifications like the website should be able to do this 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 mm-hmm. so on and so forth and so i think it is sort of a general web developers knowledge that you that you should have um but yeah hmm. it's not typically uh, something that a web developer would do no, but that, that brings up a good point because you, even if you're designing on the front end or not exactly working for the client directly, you know, understanding how to work off of a spec is kind of hand in hand with, with being able to write one. Yeah, for certain. Hmm. And it, it is challenging. It's different. You know, it's definitely a different type of mind state, um, especially given the fact that this specification is going to be usually for some other person that's not a developer. So you're, you're writing it for a client or you're writing it for a product manager or somebody mm-hmm. else, like maybe even the CEO, if it's a really small company and you have to write it in a really human readable way, you can't, you know, write as a developer, sort of like the developer language. You kind of right. have to put on your user friendly face and, and write that way, which that can be fun too. It's a great skill to have. Yeah, it is a different skill. That's yeah. good. Cool. That's fun. I like creating those kinds of documents as well, but I think that's just the geek in me. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Same here. Yeah. So what are we talking about today? Today we're talking about the web developer's tool belt. So yep. we're going to get into the different tools that we use and uh, frameworks and languages and all of that good stuff. Basically everything that we touch kind of on a day-to-day basis for production. Exactly. Yeah. So we're going to go over text editors. We're going to go over IDEs, browsers, front end frameworks, back end frameworks, local host setups, our favorite of all of the above, um, some favorite web hosts, stuff like that. So everything that you will need as a web developer in your tool belt, everything that you'll need as a resource, we hope to touch that a little bit today. Yep. You can find this show online at starthere.fm slash webdev slash four. In this episode, we'll actually have a really thorough um, uh, show notes, obviously, to link out to all these things. So feel free, you know, don't need to take notes. Just head on over there to that that link that Keith just provided, and you'll see all the notes on everything we talked about. Yeah, any product we mentioned, we will link to as well, so you can go find out more about it. Let's get into text editors, Dane. So there are a lot of text editors. There's different types of text editors, something as simple as... Um, text edit on a Mac or Notepad on Windows, which are your very most basic text editors, and you can develop in those. But then we can get very, um, very more complicated as far as editor, uh, text editors go. What What are some of the text editors that you've used, Dane? Yeah, so I'm just going to give an outline of various text text editors on Windows and on Mac, and then we're going to go into IDEs and just give you a brief outline of IDEs on Windows and IDEs on Mac. So again, these are all going to be in the show notes, and you can I we we recommend exploring to find your favorites. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, you're going to be living in these every day as a developer. So, again, it's the same thing. It's very important. The chair that you sit on, the computer that you're looking at, the text editor you're using, all of these are really important because you're going to spend 8 to 10 hours a day, perhaps more, in these tools. Mm-hmm. So, some of the text editors that I like. So, And actually, before we dive too far, what is kind of the realm for the text editor? In the big picture, 
that's where we're writing our HTML, CSS, and yeah. server. Yeah, so that's where we're writing the HTML, CSS, whatever backend language. That's where we're writing that as well, usually. Uh, if it's an IDE, perhaps that's where we're running our servers. So an IDE is an integrated development environment. It might have buttons that say run server. So it makes mm. it really easy for you to run those servers to do things like that. Um, an ID might have testing. So, you know, it's going to be a place where you go to, to write your code every day. So that's the main big picture. First, though, we're going to dive into text editors. So we're going to touch on Windows. Uh, Windows is the thing that I have the, the least bit of experience with. Because when I started my programming career, I actually switched to a Mac because Macs are based on a Unix shell environment. So a lot of development environments really benefit from being on a Mac. But I used Windows for my entire life before that, so I have some experience. So on Windows, I've used Notepad and Notepad++. So Notepad is just the basic text editor that actually comes with every Windows computer, and it's totally uh, uh, capable of programming your code in. So writing code, you can do all of that. Yeah. Um, Notepad++ is a simple extension off of that that allows you... It's another program, but it's based on Notepad, and it simply has syntax highlighting so basically what syntax highlighting is is as you write your code your html your css your javascript your php whatever it will highlight different parts of the code so that it's easier for you to read um, and it's just more pleasing to the eye and it's something that developers usually can't live without so it's very difficult for a developer to use a program that doesn't have syntax mm -hmm. highlighting it can just be very challenging because you get used to it and it is very helpful actually it, yeah definitely Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then moving on to a, to the Mac environment, we have various tools, uh, text editors for Mac. So to start off with, one of the oldest are VI and Emacs. So these are terminal-based text editors that you actually run inside your terminal. Um, and they've been around since probably before the 80s, but at least the 80s. So these are very, very old editors that have been modified and played around with for a long, long time. A lot of people, the these editors specifically have a emphasis on using the keyboard to navigate your code as opposed to the mouse. So normally in most text editors, you scroll up and down with your mouse and you'll click around with your mouse. But in these editors, Vim and Emacs, they have an emphasis on being able to do all that on the keyboard so that your hands never actually have to leave the keyboard. Um, hmm. So if you if there's a type of preference that you might have or if you play around with it and you realize you actually like that, then that might be the text editor for you. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's TextMate. TextMate is a great text editor on Mac and it used to be really popular. It actually recently went open source so you can get it for free. They do still have a paid option as well, but you can get it for free. It is a great little text editor. Um, it is not something that I use anymore. Everybody that used to use TextMate that I know of on a Mac has switched over to Sublime. Mm -hmm. So then you have the category of text editors that are ultra customizable. So there's a couple text editors for Mac that are ultra customizable. So Sublime and Atom, A-T-O-M. So these are two that I would consider to be the most customizable and the most popular on the Mac currently. And we should it, mention both of those are for Windows as well. They are for Windows as well, and they're both free up until a certain point. And then, I mean, well, technically they're both free forever, but you can pay for Sublime um, mm -hmm. if you choose, um, sort of like as a donation, I guess. But 
They are both very customizable in the sense that the preferences are, it's just basically a file. So like the preferences for Sublime and Atom, it's just a big file. So like Mm -hmm. it's literally text-based preferences because it's, these are text editors that are kind of made for hackers. So they're made to be extended and they're made to be extensible. So Mm -hmm. these are very, very uh, robust text editors. And Sublime actually has a package management community. So you can install via the Sublime console a snippet, and it will install a package manager. And then there's all these people that have built plugins and and packages for Sublime to do different things. And it's really, really helpful. You know, I've I've read about that, and I've seen some some kind of examples. But what what what's a common use case for that like what kind of a package would you install yeah so some of the packages that i have um are so when you first download sublime and you open the file tree on the left and you try Mm -hmm. to right click a file there's like two or three options there's really not much going on there um there's like a diff you know there's very few options but you can actually install a package called sidebar enhancement and it will give you all the options that you normally would have when you right click a file so you can copy it move it download Mm -hmm. you know change it rename it it has all the normal options which is kind of strange that sublime doesn't but this is the whole point of the package community right is they notice a deficiency in the program so they create a package to 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 obviously fill that deficiency. A couple mm-hmm. others that are, I have are um, some documentation helpers, so some things that help me document code easier. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Some some less in SAS, which is CSS precompilers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can actually integrate those right in. Uh, they have some FTP packages so you can combine this to make it really just like an IDE and you can connect to a server and download the files remotely. Um, some that's some other cool. yeah, and I have there's a lot of GitHub sort of integration. So I have some mm-hmm. some uh, some packages that will show me in line what files have been what lines have been removed and added in the file, which is really nice. So it's just stuff like that. Okay, that's pretty fun. Maybe maybe we can link to some of those in the show notes. Yeah. What would you say your favorite packages, or maybe the package that you find increases your productivity the most? I will anytime I get a new Mac or a new Sublime setup, I always install the sidebar enhancements because okay. that's really useful. And then I always install Git Gutter, which will just show me in the gutter what fi- what lines of a file have been added and removed as I'm typing, so that like when I'm looking at it, I can note really quickly. Um, but honestly, not not really so much. Like I don't really. I like to stay pretty simple. So this mm-hmm. is why I'm not like a big IDE kind of guy because I, I like to stay pretty simple and pretty minimal. You know, I don't really download many packages. I, I do also use Emmet, which is like a coding, which is the Zen coding extension mm-hmm. so that you can uh, do HTML really quickly. But that's like a, that that's definitely a topic for another show and our, right. advan- our advanced HTML show will cover that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I like to keep it pretty simple. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I, I obviously I like to keep it simple. I, I haven't ever installed packages, but that sidebar enhancer sounds interesting. So yeah, I'll take a look. Definitely very useful. There's definitely some packages. If you just Google the top ten packages for Sublime Text, you'll find a lot of blog posts that talk about this. And um, you know, again, there's some that are mission critical for sure. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So alongside those IDEs, we have something, or sorry, alongside those text editors, we have something called IDEs, which are, as we said, integrated development environments. They are usually 
a text editor with a bunch of functionality that is around it. So it's a program that has a text editor. It has some language specific functions. So for Rails, it might have running the server, installing bundles or gems for PHP. It might be something, it might have something that does a MAMP setup for you, configures MAMP or, or runs the PHP environment in some way. Mm-hmm. For JavaScript, if you have a JavaScript ID, it might help you write JavaScript unit tests. So it's just, it is usually an IDE that is very specific, but has a lot of functionality. So you have a bunch of different types of IDEs, and that's what we're going to go into next. So you have language-specific IDEs, like I just discussed. Then you have IDEs that work on every language. So an example of an IDE that runs on Windows and works with every language that I know of is Visual Studio. Mm -hmm. So Visual Studio is a very, very robust Microsoft-based IDE. It will run, it'll allow you to do C-sharp code, JavaScript code, Python, Ruby, pretty much anything. And there's a lot of like packages for Visual Studio that allow you to do those types of coding um, languages easier. So Mm -hmm. it has a JavaScript um, unit testing package and stuff like that. So it is very robust. It is definitely the biggest IDE in the world, definitely the most popular. Mm-hmm. And the idea with the IDE is that, you know, they have, they're integrated with tools that help you perform more quickly, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe more more efficiently. And so yep. as you spend more time with an IDE, I think it's something that there's a learning curve to it to figure out those shortcuts and, you know, how best to use, how best to write in that environment. But eventually you can, you can experience some, um, some pretty good, productivity enhancements as you figure it out and learn it yeah it's definitely geared towards making your life easier so that's mm-hmm. the whole point of an id is it's to make your life easier as a developer um and i know a lot of people that use ids that can't live without them so mm-hmm. that should be something that's said like a lot of people love them and they can't code without them mm-hmm. um so that that's definitely important so we have also language-specific IDEs. So JetBrains is a company that makes IDEs for specific languages. So for instance, if you're writing Ruby, they have RubyMine. If you're writing Python, they have PyCharm. If you're writing JavaScript or HTML and CSS, they have WebStorm. If you're writing PHP, they have PHPStorm. So these are very, very specialized IDEs. Again, they might have specific functions for those languages and it's to make your life easier when you're writing in those languages which is very Mm -hmm. cool and then you have front-end IDEs that are specialized for front-end like WebStorm like I already mentioned but there's also Coda so Coda is made by Panic Software and Coda is like a front-end text editor slash IDE I consider it kind of an integrated development environment because it does have a lot of front-end functionality connects to an FTP server by default and stuff like that so a really great environment. And then the last one we'll mention is Dreamweaver, which is obviously an Adobe product. It's gotten a bit of flack over the years for various reasons, but a lot of people do use it to code. Um, it is a WYSIWYG development environment. So as you code, you can actually see the output of your code. Um, mm-hmm. I don't believe it connects to any backend frameworks. It's mainly for static HTML and CSS and JavaScript, but... Um, it is something that some people do like to use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then there's a couple browser-based environments. So yeah. your text editors and IDEs, you install those to your computer, but there are actually a couple services that you can access through the browser 
to you know you have your environment online which which is cool if you tend to switch computers a lot yeah or like let's say you're going to school and you bought a google chromebook so like you bought maybe a 299 dollars little cheap google chromebook and you want to program on it so you can do that i have a friend that does that actually um and they develop really cool ruby on rails applications all from their google chromebook and as you Hmm. know the chromebook actually can't install applications it is all browser. The, everything is done in the browser. So you can use these browser-based coding environments. One of them is called Coding. So that's K-O-D-I-N-G.com. And that is basically a really interesting coding environment online. And then another one is Cloud9. So you can access that by going to C9.io. Mm-hmm. And both of those are very fascinating and very different. So I would just explore those a little bit. What, how should people think about choosing, you know, one of these options, right? I mean, should somebody choose a text editor? I mean, should they go with an IDE or maybe choose um, one of the online like browser-based services? Like, why would they choose one or the other? Do you, do you have some ideas there? Yeah, I think um, it comes down to personal preference a lot of the times. If you're really a simplistic type of person, if you really like something that is streamlined and super, super simple. And you and when you're coding, maybe all you want to see is the code and that's it and nothing else, then you're going to want to go with a text editor. So very minimal, very simple. Um, again, you're going to have to run the server in the terminal. Like, but that's actually very common, right? So that's And that depends on which which server side language you're using. Yeah, it does. It depends on which server side. And if you're one of the types of people that really likes to have all the tools and widgets and all the little like buttons and everything around you so that your life is a little bit easier, then I would go with an IDE. Um mm-hmm. again, it's a lot more configuration. There's a lot more on the screen at any given time. Probably but, a bigger learning curve. There's a bigger learning curve, but um, a lot of advanced uh, programmers do love IDEs. I mean, again, you know, here's a use case. You're coding one day. You notice that you need to go back and look at the history of a file. So how do you do that? Do you do you go on GitHub? Well, with an IDE, you can right-click on the file and click View History. And if it's connected to GitHub, then it will literally show you a history of that file throughout its lifespan. And you can just click on the file in, back in time and look at s- another teammate who maybe edited this file and see what they did. So, I mean, it's it's stuff like that that really you can't do in any, any other way. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually have almost all of these IDs on my computer along with almost all of these text editors. <laughs> so the reason that I do that is one, well, because I like to, to experiment with different things, but also because I use them when I need them. Right. Hmm. So at my day job, we use Python and I will open PyCharm when I need to do exactly what I just described, when I need to view the history of a file. Um, I'll also use it when I want the Python um, syntax highlighting and syntax editing. It'll actually tell me that I have a syntax error also. Nice. And, you know, Ruby, sometimes I'll open the Ruby one if I need to do something really crazily complicated. Um Similarly for Coda, so if I'm doing something with CSS and I need a SAS compiler or some kind of crazy front-end thing, maybe I'll open Coda because it's really nice for that. Um, but usually I'll be using my text editors. But again, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll just use everything as is needed. Right, right. Yep. So what, what's your favorite text editor then? What's your go-to? 
definitely has been Sublime okay. for ye- for years and years. I'll use TextMate often. I have Sublime, TextMate, and Atom in my dock, and I'm experimenting with Atom because I, I really like it. But I just started experimenting with that this past week. But Sublime oh, is wow. my is my go to for coding, and TextMate I'll use for writing notes so like i'll usually have a text editor open for notes because as a programmer you have a lot of like notes that you have to take about like what you're writing um maybe just like the feature or even code related stuff so i like Mm -hmm. to keep that out of the current text editor that i'm actually using for coding that's just a personal preference um Hmm. because i don't like to mix the it's like separation of concerns kind of thing so i'll usually have all those running that's a good idea. That's interesting. Yeah, Sublime is my my personal favorite as well. In fact, I think it's the only one I've used uh, since I started programming. And it's a good I choice. Think, yeah, I mean, it, it speaks, uh, you know, to how good of a program Sublime is. You know, I haven't needed to to use a different text editor. Yeah, and it's definitely the largest community as well. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so that's a good one. So if you're unsure, you can go and you can take a look at a bunch of these. We'll link to them in the show notes, and. Don't get too bogged down with this. Mm-hmm. If if you just want to get going, you know, maybe try Sublime or Atom. Um, those are fantastic. You won't you won't be sorry to have learned those. So as you're starting web development, there's the tools. Uh, you know, you're figuring out how to do the whole workflow between the text editor and your browser, and maybe you've installed a server on your on your local environment, and in general. For your computer, like, you don't need anything fancy, really. There are some people that maybe want to go and buy new flashy computers and devices because they think they need that, but almost any computer can be, you know, can be developed with. Mm -hmm. You know, the text editors, their system requirements are minimal, really minimal. Um, And probably, I would assume, many of the IDEs as well. You know, with the computer, with whatever computer you choose, you, I mean, you can choose Mac or Windows, and I would say, you know, choose something you're comfortable with, mm-hmm. because that will, it'll just be more efficient for you to um, to work in that environment. Of course, Dane, you switched, uh, you switched platforms right when you started coding. I, I but guess either, or either one is, is perfectly fine. Yeah, we don't, yeah, I mean, like, I, I develop in Windows, and I really like that environment, Um so the choice is yours. Yeah, don't get too caught up in the flame wars for you know for the different platforms there. Yeah, um, I think in previous in previous episodes we talked about our favorite browser to use. Yep. Um, and I would encourage everyone to avoid using Internet Explorer for brow- uh, for developing. There are better browsers that are that are more on the forefront um, of the technologies, and I think Chrome and Firefox are the two that are probably at the forefront there. Definitely. Yeah. You always want to find one that uh, has the easiest to use development environment, uh, so that you can. The debugging tools are all very important. Mm-hmm. Again, I think we both agree Chrome is the one to go there. Mm-hmm. So, as far as other things in your web development toolkit, you know, you'll work with the text editor and your computer and the browser and all that good stuff, and then you'll pretty quickly learn that you need to be able to do more than just write, you know, straight HTML. Uh, CSS or and then like PHP or Ruby or Python or whatever your other chosen language is. Mm-hmm. And what I'm getting at is that there are libraries and packages and frameworks that are pre-built that do a lot of functionality, a lot of the basic functionality for you. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and there's a few different types of frameworks. So with frameworks, you have usually back-end frameworks and server-side frameworks and front-end frameworks. So when mm-hmm. I say back-end, I mean server-side. So for front-end frameworks, you have two categories. You have usually JavaScript frameworks and HTML and CSS frameworks. So the difference is JavaScript frameworks will allow you to build an application in a new way, so a reinvent-the-wheel type of way. And HTML and CSS frameworks uh, might have a JavaScript component, but it's simply a library. So mm-hmm. it's a HTML and CSS reinvention of how to do that, but the JavaScript component will simply be a library. So the difference here would be things like, um, here's how I would sort of uh, silo those. Bootstrap, mm-hmm. Foundation, and UI Kit are examples of HTML and CSS frameworks that might have a JavaScript component, but JavaScript frameworks are going to be things like AngularJS, JS. Ember, JS, et cetera, et cetera. So those are frameworks that, again, reinvent the wheel for how to develop applications on the client side using JavaScript. And we will have a very detailed episode about JavaScript frameworks very far down the line when we get into JavaScript more deeply. So that's something you don't really need to think about right now. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, with HTML and CSS frameworks. We did actually mention this in a previous episode, but uh, some ones that we like are Bootstrap Foundation and UIKit. They allow you to develop applications very quickly. They look very nice, so the design element is very nice. And Mm -hmm. um, the grid systems are very powerful. Yeah, and so the HTML and CSS frameworks are skeletons that that you, you install them and then you build your website using those elements from the different framework you know from the framework and that you know just like the IDE it can kind of help you get to something more quickly you can build a full you know admin panel for the back end of website you know if you're not using wordpress uh, more more quickly uh, which which can be helpful if it's not if it doesn't need to be super customized yeah exactly um, so Keith, why don't you tell us about some server-side frameworks that complement those front-end frameworks that we just discussed? Right. So with the frameworks, so you've got your your chosen programming language that you might use if you're working on the you know in the back end on the server side, and so you could be using you know PHP, Python, or Ruby, and that's the core language. And then you can have a framework, and just like the front-end framework, the the server-side framework, it will extend the the language so for php you've got frameworks like um man there's a bunch of them but the one i've used was code igniter and i think that one's kind of dying if it's not dead the newest one is laravel and they do a lot of stuff that you pretty much always need to do when you're building an app um, and that's kind of baked into the framework that's cool and then of course ruby has ruby on rails which you know I don't really have much of any experience with, but it's kind of it's the same concept. Mm-hmm. It allows you to extend the language, and it has a lot of, um, in some cases, more than other PHP frameworks. It it's a little opinionated, but it allows you to create something very quickly. 
And one thing we should mention with these frameworks is you might be asking why have this framework at all. So a lot of the times these frameworks will be created because they are a way to interface between the database and the UI application logic, or maybe not the UI logic, but the business logic. So if you have some business logic on your application and that business logic needs to query the database, they want to provide a way for you to not have to write raw SQL to do that mm-hmm. query. Because um, obviously, you know, SQL, it's just something that a lot of people don't know. So if they can abstract that, and perhaps you can learn Rails, and you can learn Rails' ORM layer, which is object relational mapping, then you can query the database and never write a line of SQL in your entire life. Of course, you can write SQL in mm-hmm. all of these frameworks. You can do it in Django, you can do it in Rails, but um, again, they try to try to abstract it such that you don't have to. Uh, in most scenarios right and the other benefit is that there is a just a ton of stuff to think about when you're writing a program Mm -hmm. and more than just writing the sql you know there's you have to worry about security Mm -hmm. and accessibility and all these other things and those can be very complicated Mm -hmm. but with a framework they're done for you and so as long as you're following the you know the documentation for the framework and you're using it correctly, then you have a certain amount of um, comfort knowing that, you know, some of those things are taken care of for you. Exactly. So how, how do we get those on our computer when we're working, right? So we can't just run PHP from a text editor, right? Or right. Ruby on Rails. Those have to be run on a server. Yeah. So... When you're developing an application locally, you want to install something that's called a localhost environment for that programming language. So every programming language will have one, and every programming language framework will usually have one as well. Um, So for PHP, you want to... So basically the big picture is you want a way to run a PHP website, or you want a way to run a Ruby on Rails website, or a Python website, right? So... Uh, and by Python and Ruby, I obviously mean Rails and Django, or for Rails, Sinatra as well. Um, so because these languages are very much not compiled, you need a way to do that, and that is a localhost environment. So you can, for PHP, an example is MAMP, um, which is a way to set a set up a PHP environment and point it at your PHP files so that anytime you go to a localhost web address, it will point that web address will access your computer and the computer will say, okay, well, I actually have a PHP application that that web address is pointed to and then mm-hmm. that will point to your files. So as you make changes in those files, it'll be reflected in the website. Um, and for Ruby on Rails, you have things like Rails, which when you install Rails, it gives you some um, some servers called Webbrick for one, and you can install others like Thin, etc., uh, Unicorn, and you can run those from the terminal. So with Rails, you do Rails server. You call that from the terminal after you install your Rails app. For Python, uh, it's fairly similar. You set up Django, and Django will help you set up a development environment and a, a localhost uh, environment as well. So all of the frameworks will usually give you a step-by-step uh, walkthrough of how to do that, which is mm-hmm. very nice, which is really nice. Yeah, definitely. And so the whole idea is that when you're programming, you're you're writing logic that needs to be processed. A lot of a lot of if-then statements. And so it's not just simple HTML and CSS, which 
is static, right? The HTML and the CSS, mm-hmm. they don't really do anything as far as logic goes. And so you're, that's where your server comes in. Your server has to be able to process that, that programming logic. So that's what you will need on your computer. And there's a few different server environments that you can install. So some other things that you'll need to think about, and so the localhost, the server on your computer, you'll need that for development. But then as you move on and maybe you want to um, actually put your first website on the internet, you will need a web host to do that. You'll need to be able to, you know, put your files out there on the internet. There are any number of different web host companies that host your files, and then, you know, you'll be able to buy a domain and point your domain to the files and be able to access it there. Different web hosts tend to focus on languages and frameworks, and so some some hosts are better for Rails, uh, mm-hmm. than PHP and vice versa. I think the the one web host that we both have a little experience with is Bluehost. Yep. And that works well. I've used that f- for PHP applications. Have you used it for anything else besides PHP? Um, I've used it for WordPress, which is uh, so yeah, PHP only. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and so that works really well. And then what do you use for Rails? So for Rails, I recommend Heroku. Heroku is free, and it really is easy to integrate with Rails. You can um, simply create a new Heroku by using installing the Heroku tool belt to your mm-hmm. terminal and then calling Heroku Create and then her- get push Heroku Master, and you will have a website on Heroku. So it's pretty wow, simple. Wow, it's free. Yeah, it's free. So it's free for the first dyno. You can think of a dyno like a server. It's not exactly that, um, but it is similar to that. So you, for the first dyno, it's free. If you want to increase dynos, it costs money. If you want to set up a production database, it costs money. But the basic PostgreSQL database along with one dyno is free. And mm-hmm. that will achieve the results of about, you know, 4,000 to 5,000 users per month, I think, would be fine on one dyno. So you should be wow. good to go if you ever need a Rails app. And, and do you have you ever used that free version for a website in production or an application yeah. in production? Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. okay, cool. So it definitely would work. Hey, that's a pretty, you know, pretty good benefit for, you know, learning Rails. Yeah, definitely. I yeah. mean, I have multiple clients that are using it in production right now. Yeah, okay. That's awesome. Well, so right now I use a different host i use a company called a small orange Mm -hmm. and it's pretty much the same thing as bluehost it's standard set of tools and languages that they support let's see here right now it's it's like ten dollars a month to get an account set up you know it's a shared hosting account so um you know i can put my files on there and essentially they're the resources are shared with other uh other accounts other websites Mm -hmm. um and that that's good because it is pretty inexpensive. But if you get put on a server, you know, at the company that's bogged down, then your website can run pretty slow. And we we see this a lot at GoDaddy. And so we don't recommend hosting your website at GoDaddy. And I think it's I don't know for sure, and maybe I'm speaking on a turn here, but it seems like they they overload their servers with too many accounts and in general, their websites tend to run slower, especially if you're on a WordPress site that tends to run a lot of database queries. Mm -hmm. It can be very slow on GoDaddy. Yeah, so we avoid GoDaddy for that and for a few other reasons, moral issues and ethical issues. But uh, yeah, we recommend Mm -hmm. Bluehost, HostGator, 
um, you know, Heroku, phone, um, app fog, engine yard, pretty much anything but GoDaddy. Yeah. And you were saying that HostGator had some pretty good kind of introduction pricing for yeah, really so small I have stuff? A, I have a number of blogs that actually run on HostGator and they all are running for $1 a month. Man, they that's have a, pretty good. Yeah, they have an option for $1 a month. I think it might be a promotion, but the other option is $3 a month. So either way, that's pretty cheap. Yeah, that's definitely cheap. Cool. Okay, so those are some options um, for getting your website up and going on the Internet. Mm-hmm. Oh, we didn't talk about registrars, about buying a domain. Yep. Right? So the kind of the two different things you need to consider when you're wanting to put a website on the web is you'll have to have your files hosted somewhere. That's the web host we just talked about. Mm-hmm. And you'll need a domain name that points to those files. Yep. So it's the www.starthere.fm is our domain name, and those point to our, our host. And they don't – a lot of web hosting companies also – you can also purchase your domains through – but you don't have to. You can purchase your domain anywhere and just point it to your, your hosting files. And mm-hmm. there's any number of uh, registrars for purchasing domains, just like with web hosts. Um, and some are better than others. Uh, let's see here. I use Namecheap.com. That seems to work pretty well for me. Do you have a preferred registrar? Yeah, I use Hover for everything that okay. I do when I register a domain. Um, Hover is really good really minimal it just you register domain it's pretty much it i mean it's super simple really cool great customer support excellent company can't recommend it highly high enough um and then i've also used gandhi which is a a registrar that will allow you to register very obscure tlds so if you Mm. want very strange tlds like um for instance the Italian t- tld.ly, or not, that's Libya. Um, there's some TLDs that are more difficult to get, and you can mm-hmm. only get them at specific registrars. And usually Gandhi will have those. Um, if not, then you have to go to very specific registrars to get them uh, in the country of origin for the TLD. So, um, yeah, that's something to keep in mind as well. That is really interesting. I will check out that resource. I've often tried to find ways to purchase some of those more obscure TLDs, the Mm top-level domains. I know there are some tools online that can help you kind of come up with available domain names, Mm -hmm. and that's kind of like a domain name search. I mean, most places where you go, I mean, any place you go to buy a domain will have a search feature, and it'll tell you whether the one you want is available. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm thinking of a particular tool I use. It's called Domainer, and that's Mm. D-O-M-A-I. Dot nr, And that's kind of fun because you can type in your preferred domain and it'll tell you if it's available in a number of different TLDs, but mm-hmm. then offer some suggestions as well mm-hmm. um, that might that might be of interest to you. So that's kind of fun. I typically go there to, to brainstorm usually. Oh, that's very cool. Very cool. So we've, we've kind of covered the big picture for web development tools and we hope you enjoy it. We hope that you find the tool that works best for you, but we don't want you to overthink it too much. Okay. You can always learn something new and, and move on to something different, but don't jump ship too often. Like Dane was saying, you know, spend a good chunk of time with a tool before you just give it up, you know, because Mm -hmm. it takes time to figure these out and to realize those efficiencies. And so definitely don't get bogged down with, you know, 
the fun, flashy, newest text editor that comes on the market or something like that. You know, find one, stick with it, and produce. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I would recommend, again, just focus on experimenting for a month. If you really want to change text editors, do it, but try it for a month. You know, and again, with all these different resources, pretty much anything that we named that uh, we can put our, our name behind. So if you're trying to debate between Bluehost or HostGator for your WordPress site, it really doesn't matter. Just pick one, whatever one you can afford, maybe what's cheapest, go with that. Uh, again, I mean, we've spent a lot of time doing this many, many years, and these are the resources that we like. So uh, if you use it, you'll, you'll pretty much be happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Come back next time. We're going to go into more about server-side languages and frameworks. Again, you can find us online at startheater.fm slash webdev slash four. Thanks for joining us. Have a great week. Yep. Bye. Bye.